Liam Dwyer, if you could describe this dinner with racers in one word, what would it be? Comical. Start the show. That's fair. And now for Dinner with Racers, presented by Continental Tire. With your hosts, Ryan Eversley and Sean Heckman. Placeholder Radio. Hi, I'm Ryan Eversley. Welcome to Dinner with Racers. And I'm Sean Heckman. I'm also from Dinner with <laughs> Racers. <laughs> and uh, let's uh, keep going here. We uh, we are well, we're so close to being done. Uh, we are on day 30 of an 8,000-mile journey across the country where we met up with a ton of people from the sport of motor racing. Uh, and we had lunches and dinners and breakfasts and all kinds of things across 20 different states. All so that you, the fan, could turn around and say, I don't know, you should have maybe asked this question. All of this, by the way, is courtesy of, uh, first, the lovely vehicle that Acura has provided to Ryan Eversley. My Acura MDX. And, uh, of course, it all uh, was completely, completely, completely made available by Continental Tires. That's right. Gave you some tires, gave us some help on travel, a whole bunch of stuff. Anyway, if there's one amazing man to interview on this whole trip. It was the last guy that we met with. We sat down with Liam Dwyer, who is a race car driver in the Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge, but is also a retired Marine who is now the lucky recipient of a prosthetic leg from the second time he was hit by an IED. So to set the stage on Liam, Liam was a staff sergeant in the US Marine Corps, uh, did multiple tours, toured in Iraq, toured in Afghanistan, uh, in one of his tours, uh, he was in a Humvee that, that struck an IED. Correct. He only suffered minor uh, injuries from that. Uh, and then on his most recent tour in Afghanistan, had another encounter with an IED that unfortunately didn't end as well. Had to have his left leg amputated, was rescued from the scene. Uh, very, very touching story. If you don't know much about Liam, we don't really get into the specifics of uh, the incident itself when he was in Afghanistan. There's plenty of information that can be found on that through Google. ESPN did an amazing special about him. What we wanted to showcase in our interview was the personality that is Liam. The thing about Liam that we are really excited to showcase is his sense of humor and the way that he's so down to earth about his situation. He has zero hard feelings about anybody that wants to ask him anything, whether it's leg racing related or whatever and no topic was off the record for us. So, without further ado, we had breakfast with Mr. Dwyer at the Orange Tree in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I had a cheese omelet and homestyle fries. And I had a chicken sandwich. And let's hear from Liam, once again, courtesy of Continental Tire. Meow. All right, we're gonna start in five, four, three, two, there he is. Man. Yeah. Wow. Minute, that is. minute to spare. Nice. The man is on time. What's up, brother? How are you? <laughs> Good to see you. Hey. Have you met Sean? Nice to meet you, man. So, Grab a headset. Hey, did, does this place work for you? Awesome. Oh, it's awesome. This yeah. is like, I, no. I would rather go to places like this than anything yeah. else. Okay. So I feel, um, I feel kind of special and odd here. You guys were with the Don't. Taylor brothers this week <laughs> and Taylor's. Tommy Kendall and all of a sudden now you're with me and it's like, Listen, really? Listen, here's the deal. We're playing up the injury. We're going for the, <laughs> we're going for the <laughs> sympathy. <laughs> 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 
If you don't listen to this one, you're not a good American. I, uh, <laughs> you hate freedom. You hate freedom. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I wanted to do this. Regardless of your history, your sense of humor is right in line with Sean and mine. And Sean yeah, hasn't met you before. Yeah. That, but when we were talking about guests that we wanted, I'm like, look, we got to get Liam just because he's going to say what I would say, <laughs> and it's going to work. And Sean's worse than we are. He just doesn't really talk much. Like, you just wouldn't know it because so, he works more than anybody I know. But uh, I was like, we got to get him just for a sense of humor. Thank and then, you. yeah, we'll bring up the whole, I was a Marine. And I my ass rides in Navy equipment. That's what Marine stands for. What's that? Marine stands for my ass rides in Navy equipment. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> you guys know what Army stands for? Here it comes. Are we Ain't in? really a Marine yet. <laughs> <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with being in the Army. No, 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 no. Just but Liam said it. <laughs> yeah, so we can pretty. I'm gonna get you, shanked. Yeah, but I say if you say it, we can get away with anything. Liam and I kind of connected on on social media more because I'm a huge nerd about. My uncle was a marine, and I've always like followed military. And if I didn't go into racing, I probably would have tried to try to fail at that. And uh, and so we kind of nerded out over that, like on Facebook chat or something once. And then uh, we met. Where, where did we meet the first time? It wasn't. Do do I have to stay this, or you throw me under the bus? I'm throwing you under the bus. <laughs> we met at VIR during the. Uh, Ultimate Tri-Card Challenge. Right, and then uh, hung out for, like, half an hour. Like, yeah. And then Lime Rock this year, he comes up, and he's like, dude, so good to meet you. Dude. And I'm like, I'm like, really? TBI, all right, TBI. <laughs> I'm like, really? <laughs> really, Liam? <laughs> so good to meet me? And he's like, oh. Oh, dude. You, like, so the wind is in my sails. Like, oh, my God, I'm meeting Ryan Everson. This is Ryan Everson. Meeting. So, yeah, huge so deal. I'm, I'm like the Mayflower coming over w with all the freaking pilgrims. Right? That's how I'm feeling right now, okay? <laughs> And then all of a sudden, Ryan just goes, <laughs> yeah. and just fires the howitzer right into the hull, and the ship just drives just itself down right to the bottom of the Atlantic. Thanks, Dave. That's what you get. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I felt about this big afterwards. I was like, oh, my God. I had completely forgot about that. You know why? Because I, that was a repressed memory that I didn't want to bring back from a bad day. Uh, so I had heard that the ultimate track car challenge, yeah. the first day you met, was kind of an interesting day for you. So just to sort of set the stage, and then, Ryan, I'll give it to you. But um, ultimate track car challenge is a... Is a Sort of like an open track day, sort of at VIR, where people go out yeah. and try and set fastest laps. Yep. Um, it's put on by like grassroots, grassroots motorsports. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, and it's not like an IMSA race where everything's right. It's basically an unlimited day. Yeah. So you can kind of go out and, you know, if you've got a, a race car and you finally want to run it unrestricted, this is the time to come yep. and go yep. and run that. So Ryan was there. Yeah. Yeah, Ryan, you're running uh, some sort of crazy one series BMW. Yeah. Somebody asked me on this podcast what the craziest thing I've driven in a while is and I think it might have been that little BMW because it was like it's got the wheelbase of this table or a go-kart and it's got like 700 horsepower and zero trash control <laughs> it's just a handful and you were there in your streetcar Mustang yeah your personal yeah. I'd driven it there you drove I it drove there that four day. hours there on so uh, the way the day goes for me is first session we go out and we were delayed I think in, in one of the groups because there was a huge crash where somebody, the quote was, went out of the park. And that's not something we hear often, <laughs> you know. Especially at VIR because there's so much runoff there. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, oh, man. They're like, yeah, apparently he went off in turn one and, like, went past the end of the trees or something. And, and, and I'm like, what moron figured that out? Yeah, I'm like, some idiot. <laughs> you know, I was like, man, that's crazy. Like, it's the first session. Wow. It's the warm-up session, so you're, like, not even going for yeah, it. Yeah, it's the warm-up session. It's the best part. So, <laughs> so um <clears throat> Somebody goes out of the park, big red flag or whatever. They get it sorted out. 
and that's like kind of the last I hear about it. And, it. and then like a couple of hours later, you know, does the track Sean like information trickles in about random things that are going on. And so it's like, uh, yeah, the guy that uh, got ejected, like he went out of the park, like rolled his Mustang like seven times. And it's like, man, that must have been pretty gnarly. Like, huh, I'm surprised I haven't seen it come back on a rollback or hear more about it. So then it's like after lunch and I'm walking out of our little trailer that I'm working with and Liam's been kind of hanging out in the second paddock next to us and I knew I was going to go over at some point and introduce myself because we were going to be racing against well, each the, other. Well, the other thing to add to this is that you were paddock next to some of my friends. Okay. So yeah. I have to go over there to speak to my friends not knowing that Ryan was there. Okay. And then you pulled in in the car and at that point I recognized the car and knew that he was in it. Yeah. So carry on. Yeah, so I see Liam I'm like, I gotta go say hey to this guy. Huge respect for him. He's in our series now. It's like the band of brothers thing you know for for race car drivers so i uh i go over and you're talking to somebody and you're kind of talking sternly but i like assume that might just be your demeanor your staff sergeant you might be just like you know talking to the dude and uh, as i walk up i'm like liam and you're like hey bud one second and you turn back <laughs> to him you turn back to the guy and you go uh don't you ever do something like that again do you realize you could kill somebody out here and you're like not necessarily finger in the chest but you're pretty much finger in the chest and the dude just looks like a whip puppy I this mean, dude's like, like and six, th six and three, like 260 <laughs> right. here i am was that my wheelchair no you were standing i was, I was standing but like yeah. barely standing right, right. And, yeah. you know here i am you know 5'11", 150 pounds, soaking wet yeah. on a really, really good day with my battery <laughs> fully charged and everything. <laughs> and this dude, he's just sitting there with the so with the shoulders in front of him, looking down. Yeah. And uh, no, the, what it, what had happened was uh, we had gone out for the warm up session. I was behind this this Fox body Mustang, and as we, my Mustang at the time was I had a Boss Laguna Seca, mildly worked on, and I'd given this guy a ton of room coming through uh, through Hogpen, if you know VIR yep, at yep. all. So knowing that I'm going to get a run on this guy, I don't want to be right up on him. It's the warm-up session. Be friendly. I'm not going to try to intimidate the guy. So as we come through the start-finish, got that kink there. Right? I'm, like, right on this guy's bumper now. Just kind of, like, being close of, like, hey, I'm here, but I'm just not going to be pressuring you too much. And as we come through uh, start-finish, he moves all the way right. And I figured he's either A, got an issue, or B, he's letting me by, right. or vice versa. So I proceed to go to the left, which is... Okay, you know, don't you don't pass on left there, but since you moved all the way over there, Jim Taggart's got great video. Of this. Basically, sending you the message, yeah. So I proceeded to go by, and as I accelerate by him, he starts coming back over. And my first impression was, okay, he's coming back over to someone get back online Kinda, for the yeah, for for turn the one zone, there. Right. So I'm keeping an eye on him, and then he keeps coming over, and I'm like, oh, excuse my language, this guy right. doesn't know I'm here. And I got this new M4 M3 behind me, Jim Taggart in his uh, RSR. RSR, yeah, like yeah. At the, like not that long ago, IMSA car, yeah. So, I mean, they're, they're side by side behind us. So, if I stop on the brakes here, these guys got nowhere to go. Yeah. yeah. So, I continue tracking over. I'm like, crap, this guy doesn't see me. Then I get on the brakes, and all of a sudden, he just clips my front end, sends me off, and I take out the five brake marker. So, oh, I'm at yeah. 130 at yeah, this point. Right, you're and flying. It's, it's and grass it's like that's outside yeah, right now. Yeah, it's just all grass. So, you're just and you it's hit the slightly ice. downhill yeah. and just gone. And I had a yeah. full on conversation of like, okay, well, you know. Plenty of runoff room here, get it wowed down, get it back on track, you know, yanking the e-brake to try to rotate the rear, my pedal's in ice mode, thank God there's a lot of runoff, okay, the, the woods are down there, I won't get that far, <laughs> okay, I might hit the woods, hopefully there's a tire wall, okay, there's a tire wall, <laughs> there's no gravel trap, <laughs> this is going to be a big one, in the first tire wall that you hit, there's nothing behind it. So the tire wall moved, so right. it kind of it flipped. Yeah, yeah. So I got up on top of it and went and went 
launched up to the moon. I, fe- I felt like one of the uh, the space shuttle astronauts. Right. <laughs> and then I come back down and I landed on the passenger side C pillar, bounced over that wall, launched and went over another tire wall, and there was an access road back there that I never knew existed. Right. Right. Okay. I think I should have had a camping permit for how far back there I went. <laughs> right. Right. You know, I should have gotten a fishing game warning because I think I killed a few animals out back there illegally. <laughs> and I, I come to and the car is on its roof, and no roll cage. Three-point seatbelt, no harness. He drove it there. Little, little, like, AC, satellite radio, (laughs) insured. You know, I'm going to Pittsburgh that night. Did you land? It was like, hello, sir, it's OnStar. (laughs) (laughs) I would have had that had I had a Chevy. (laughs) um, So the car stops rolling, and I'm sitting there held up on my seatbelt. And I made the mistake, forgetting that I'm an EAPT, of undoing my seatbelt first. So I undo the seatbelt, and I fall to the car and go, Oh shit, my leg is still attached. I'm <laughs> trying to wrestle with the leg to get it undone, and I can't undo it right. yeah. because of the tension that's on the leg. So I pull the, the pin for the socket, and I get myself out of the car that way. I crawl out from underneath the car, crawl yeah. through the window, and I go, wait, i got to go back in to get my leg. So I crawl back in the car, <laughs> get my leg. So I got one leg sticking out. You know, Remember the movie uh, The Wizard of Oz, and the, the house comes down yeah. the witch, yeah. and you see the leg yeah. sticking out? That's what it must look like, <laughs> but with the car, right, but with one leg. <laughs> So I go back in there and I get my leg and scoot myself back out and now I get up on the tire wall there and I'm kind of looking around like, man, hopefully they know where I'm at because there's no GPS location down here. So JJ, one of the the head uh, EAV guy, comes down there and comes, Liam, Liam, are you okay? I'm like, sorry, JJ, I'm just missing my leg, but we're good. So they get me scooped up. They, they bring me back. They're like, hey, you know, it's a big wreck. We're going to bring you back to the infield care center. Hey, not a big deal. So I get out of the ambulance, and everybody in the ambulance knows who I am. JJ's there with me, and I get out. And John Felton from uh, Florida region okay. is up there, and I'm good friends with John. <laughs> and he's up there watching me get, get walked in, carried in or whatever. And I came in there, and I'm screaming, my leg, I lost my leg. And I'm holding <laughs> it going up and down like having a ton of pain. And the, the doctors and nurses are in there like, Oh, oh, my shit. God, the, the nurses, like, freak out, like, yeah. oh, my God, what do we do with this guy? <laughs> right. <laughs> and then I came in, they, they see no blood, and they're like, How? oh, How wait, you're wait. Liam. Oh. <laughs> do you pull that a lot? I, I pulled that at uh, at Mazda Raceway when I wrecked there last year. Yeah. Um, so I think I pulled it. I think I've only pulled it those two times. Okay. But it's, it's got to be, like, a big wreck that I'm in. And those yeah. are the two biggest wrecks I've ever had. Right. Was that the one where you kind of had to shoot up the inside on the on the infield? Like yeah. Turn so two or turn, yeah, turn two. Tur- yeah, turn yeah. two. So um, this so is my first IMSA race ever that Ryan's talking about. Uh, and We don't have to go there. I'll, I'll talk about it's it, man. Documented. It's part of the story. <clears throat> and so I'm sitting there, you know, like there's a lot of coverage going on about me, about being the APT driver that's out Yeah, we all knew things. about it. Yep, everyone knew like, about Let's it. talk more about Liam. Yeah, let's you know make me famous. <laughs> Your show. <laughs> and um, so our cars suffer from what's called knockback. Yep. When you drive over the curb, okay, yep. you know what it is. So at but the time. To explain this. You yeah. want me to explain it? Yeah, well, just, just in case somebody, just in case somebody okay. doesn't know what knockback yeah. is on brakes. So we run a street car. You know, the Mazda MX-5, it's right off either the assembly line or the showroom floor. So it's, it's really a street car. It's not a purpose-built race car. And when you run over the exit curbing, the frequency of the exit curbing, we have floating rotors, uh, tends to knock back the piston inside the calipers. So when you go to the brake zone, your next brakes, instead of having, say, two inches of brake travel, 
the, the your first initial brake will literally almost go to the floor. Yeah, yeah. just yeah. sort of simplify the brake pads shift. Yeah, right. the brake pads so move back off the rotor. So they don't. It takes a lot more pressure. So more what pressure you got to do when you come down into the corner there is, with your right foot on the gas, you take your left foot and you tap the brakes <coughs> two, three times. Yeah. To build that pressure back up to reset the pistons inside the calipers and have the pads right up against the rotors. Yeah. Why couldn't it do that? So what I was doing Yeah, because your left leg is like hard pegged. It's, it's pegged right to the clutch to since the clutch I'm a left leg amputee. Yeah. So what I was doing before is I would take my right leg off and I'd give a hard pump and then I'd get into the brake zone, but that killed the advantage that the MX-5s had, which yeah. is brakes and, and entry speed. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, I was in the position to make this pass on this BMW. And I completely forgot about the uh, the knockback. And it was like, you know, one of those like, um, you know, hopefully I'm going to have brakes. You know, let me get in here so I can make a pass. Right. And I go to get on the brakes, <coughs> and I got nothing. So I dive off to the left there to the inside, and I give another stab of the brakes. And at this point, I'm in the dirt, pea gravel, whatever it is at Mazda Raceway. And I try kitty cornering it so I don't hit the car in front of me. Well, there was another car in front of him mm. that had just made the initial turn in there. And I came so in. just coming to spear him, yeah. Just, just speared him. I did it on live TV, so it wasn't like, you know, hey, we're under caution now because of a wreck. Right. Um, who was announcing at the time? Calvin Fish. Uh, Brian Till, maybe. Probably or Till or, or Varsha. Uh, Dorsey Schrader was up Dorsey. there. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, like, I'm on live TV, and, you know, even Calvin or, or Dorsey goes, oh, I think he's got a problem. He's in there super deep. And all of a sudden, bam, I whack into a – It was a Mitchum car, I think. It was a Mitchum car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And – I was like, man, I felt miserable. So I'm sure. over the radio, and I'm like, <laughs> and they're like, my crew comes over and goes, I just want to let you know that IMSA monitors his radio. Watch your language. I'm at this point. I'm like, I don't give yeah, two crap. Yeah, I just yeah, wrecked this car. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so that was my day, series debut. So now we go to Lime Rock, and <laughs> Lime Rock is my home track. I get a lot of confidence there. But my confidence now is nil after yeah, just wrecking the sure, car. Sure. So we start we start in the back and still dealing with the brake issue. I'm able to pick up a few spots during the race. We started you know, 33rd or something. I moved up to 23rd or 24th right. or something like that. And we did an early pit stop due to a caution. Tom jumped in. And then when uh, we had another caution on like the 15-minute mark, the hour mark, we came in topped off with fuel when right. you guys had to come in and do everything. Yeah, yeah. We didn't have a long stop. We just came in topped off. Right. So we went from 20, 25th 20th to, to, to 7th yeah, to 8th yeah. to that. And uh, the MX-5s are just phenomenal at, you know, Lime Rocks, mm -hmm. the Monster Raceways. Yeah. And um, it, it became a, a Mazda show at that point because uh, CJ had two cars up there yeah. with uh, Chad, Steven, uh Tyler, Tyler and Mark, yeah, and obviously Tom and myself, and we were able to come out on top, and that's kind of like when all this just blew up. Blew up. Off, yeah. yeah, like you couldn't look at a sports car, anything, for the next month, and it was just that like about Liam Dwyer. Yeah, and this happens with uh, celebrities when they come and race in our series. You know, like yeah. when Dempsey comes or uh, you know C.J. Wilson. Yeah, but it doesn't normally happen with the guy who just took his leg off and put it at the end of our table. Yep, and. Uh, <laughs> This is one of the first times because as a driver, it's I don't want to say frustrating, but it's almost just like deflating that maybe the only way I'm going to get some TV time is if I'm next to Patrick Dempsey. Yeah. 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 Y y you know? Yeah. But when you won, it it blew up for the right reasons, and oh, that was yeah. cool. The ceiling is leaking. Yeah, it, it, it's, <laughs> oh, it's got a kind of recurring thing here, yeah. When you won, it, it blew up the Continental Tire Series 
and to Mazda's credit, gave them a huge marketing platform with you. And then in your credit, now you get to go race some more. You know, because because you're you're a story people want to be behind, and you're a good race car driver. You get the deal. You understand. You're respectful, which I think is awesome about you because you came into our series not like, yeah, I got this. You know what I mean? You've always been really uh, charismatic with the way you talk to all the other drivers. You go out of your way to introduce yourself to people instead of other, you know, types of drivers that might come in and feel like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm better than you. I can do this, which we get. We actually got that on this podcast. People that haven't raced were like, I think I could do it. And you're like, wow. Do, do you? That was when I did the test with uh, for Derek, D- Derek White is being my team owner, Um he had me go test for him in uh, one of the long road racing spec models at Sebring in January 2014. You know, I, I came out of that test and, you know, I, I know when I was fast, but it's kind of like, you know, you're the best basketball player on your middle school team. Right, right, right. You don't really know how good you it's are unless, of course, pond. you're Le- LeBron James that just yeah. light years above everyone. Yeah. So, you know, at the time, you know, I'm doing track days and time trials and I'm almost always at the very top and I'm in my street 350Z at the time and I'm beating Z06s, Vipers, GT3s, you name it I'm either, if I'm not beating it, I'm right there with it and so when I got the test and I almost won the spec Miata race, I'm like I I think I'm pretty good at this so I I asked Tom, and you know how humble Tom is, I said you know hey do I have the talent to go race the ST series, Tom Long, yeah Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry Tom Long (coughs) And Tom gives this, like, definitive, like, oh, yeah, you do. And I'm yeah. like, oh, okay, well, okay, I'm going to go see if I can't find a ride. And, hey, could I use you guys as a reference? And then it was two or three weeks later, John Dunan called me. Talk about Andrew Carbonell as a race car driver. The reason I say that is because he is one of the most. Andrew un- being your teammate. Yeah, his yeah. teammate, who I've raced against his kid since, like, 09 or something. And he's one of the best race car drivers I've ever raced against. And. It's funny to me, like, Spencer Pompelli came back to the ST class this year, only having done, like, two races ever. And he doesn't know any of you guys, you know, because he's a GT guy. He's, he's single-minded on that. And he hadn't really been in the Continental Series for a while. And at uh, Mossport this year, Liam and Spencer went – sorry, uh, Andrew and Spencer went side-by-side side for, like, seven laps or something. And they had been nose-to-tail for, like, an yeah, hour. Yeah, I mean, they so they went side-by-side side for, for – I mean, literally side-by-side side from uh, from eight – into five. Yeah, like almost a whole o- Almost, which yeah. is unheard of at that yeah. track without wrecking each other. Yeah, with, and, and like bumping a little bit, sliding through corners. I mean, I was watching that, and I was laughing to myself because I know Spencer doesn't know if Andrew's like the man, if he's a crazy person, if, if whatever. And at most part of all places, you don't want to be That's not the place side by side with somebody that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. And uh, as soon as the race ended, I went over to Spence because we were actually – I was. T- give him a ride to the airport and i'm like do you know andrew at all and he's like no i'm like that guy's the man like racing with him like that is awesome and he's like yeah i didn't know if he was going to wreck me or if he was going to be cool and i'm like no no no, that guy is as good as they come pisses me off that he's not in a prototype or in a gt car because he's one of the best guys i've ever raced against but this year with kind of the limelight of you know the amount of attention that i get um in my opinion, I, I get the attention for the wrong reasons. You know, I don't get it for being a race car driver. Um, but so you I, get I it for the right reasons for being, you know, a yeah, hero. Let's say I'm <laughs> yeah, going yeah, mean. to interrupt that for a second, uh, and we'll, we'll we'll finish the story. But but there is sometimes like a guy like Dempsey shows up, and there's there's a little bit of angst from some of the drivers. Like, yeah, oh, yeah. there's some Hollywood a hole that shows up. Yeah. And he's not an a-hole, but he's a good guy. Well. Uh, uh, but but <laughs> debatable. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'll say it. Yeah, yeah. whatever. Um, yeah. But fine. I have never, ever gotten that sense from from the kind of the notoriety you've gotten. I don't think there's a soul in yeah. the paddock who's like, oh, f that guy. Like, well, no, no, there happen. are those people, but, are they? The, but they're not because of the just because he's you know he's kind of a dick sometimes. Well, oh, I can be a dick. I'll, <laughs> I'll get in your face over something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the one guy that is actually like that is the guy he yelled at at VAR that yeah. day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Goes dick. Yeah, no. when, actually, when you were in the, I, I thought about this. It's like, when do I say? Uh, when you were in the uh, uh, the the hospital at VIR or with the medical center, yeah, yeah. yeah. And they're like, oh, oh, my leg, and they realize <laughs> what you're doing. Did you then say, oh, I'm just pulling my leg? I, I think I did. It would probably be something along the lines that I would say. Um, you feel good about yourself, Sean? I or, feel great or about something like, hey, we got, we got to throw another red flag. There's, debri there's debris on the track. Oh, it's just a leg. Don't worry about it. No, no, I'll get it. I'll get it. <laughs> have you drank out of that thing? I, actually, I have. I yes! got pictures on my phone. <laughs> so I was sure the line rack this year after we didn't get the showing that we wanted. Yeah. Then I was at a, uh, a function this year for Mazda, of all things. You know, John Doonan's there, the VP of uh, – um, Mazda North America operations, not John Tuna, but John Tuna is big, big yeah, boss yeah. for North yeah. America. We're at a function for um, giving away uh, some Mazda cars and giving away uh, a mortgage-free home to some wounded oh, wow. warriors. Cool. Yeah. And so I went over to the table with the wounded warriors there, and you know they had me there being the wounded warrior race car driver yeah, stuff. Yeah. And uh, we passed around my socket. We were drinking out of it <laughs> yes. to kind of like break the mold. And people were like, you really do that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so when you come down here next time, we're going out drinking, buddy. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're going to have some leg. parties on this one. leg all day. No problem. <laughs> so with this leg here, the design of it, you, it almost looks like you shotgun the beer. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty <laughs> cool. It's like a perfect, yeah, perfect so it fits, it, I think this thing, I haven't filled up to the brim yet, but uh, I'm pretty sure uh, it could fit a six-pack inside. Hell yeah, it can. Can you smuggle things in that, or is it like all the way compressed down once it's on? No. <laughs> <laughs> that was really good coffee. This is the best Colombian coffee ten, I've ten ever four. had. Ten four. Um, on that note, uh, how much does that thing cost? It's got to be some stupid number, right? I'll let you take a guess. An arm and a leg. Hell oh, yeah! Oh. <laughs> actually, just a leg. Actually, just a leg. Just a leg. I'll let you take a gander at it. What do you think it is? Uh, it's probably something in like the thirty thousand dollar range. I see. Well, there's. I'll let, you, I'll let you feel that. Yeah, oh my god, dude! Feel happy to see it's like that's a legit. That weighs more than my leg. Oh wow, that is. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, yeah. So you're off so by you're off by like a comma, or you're off by a zero. Holy, holy! By about a hundred twenty to hundred thirty. Nice. And that's all. Who who covers that? Uh, the government, the that's military. Awesome. Damn yeah. right they do. Yeah. Um, you know, we I'm do. Yeah, we do. As a as, as a hey, hey, I still pay my taxes. Yeah, as yeah. a country. Um, so. <laughs> The, the you're cool welcome. thing about you're welcome. I, I, I appreciate <laughs> it. Hey, hey guys, thank you. this is gonna be like the. Uh, did you hear the podcast where Eversley made yeah, Liam a, like thank him for you his leg? Walk around the diner. <laughs> here. Eversley, I, I really gotta say thank you. I want you to walk around the diner. So kindly donate to me. I, I really want to be here without support uh, th from thank guys you, like you. Yeah, exactly. Th thank me for my service. Yeah, walk around the <laughs> like, diner. Thank everybody here for their service. For services. <laughs> There's no way we're making it home tonight. Like the car's gonna flip ten times. Like. Yeah, the karma coming to yeah, us. Yeah, karma coming awful. to us is going to be full on. Yeah. <laughs> so the the cool thing with the leg here is, you know, this thing is uh, it's biomechanical. So I'll put it up on the table here and be rude. So being car guys here, and you know, this being a radio show, don't so put I'm, your I'm, feet I'm on the table. I'm sure our viewers will be very very happy to see this, you know, over yeah. the over the podcast here. Yeah, this so is good. So it's kind of like we're having a jump rope contest, and yeah. everybody doesn't get to view it. <laughs> Um, and Ryan, what? you're actually quite lucky because you have the perfect face for radio. Yeah. Now, well, do you my mom says so. Uh, so I, that's a Puma. 
So the, I guess the Puma shoe on here. So I, I wear the Pumas because they're a little bit flatter and they're comfortable. Um, th my foot doesn't cramp up here, so okay. I'm very okay. lucky with that. We're in the Pumas, <laughs> <laughs> so you guys can see the piston back here. Oh wow! And look at that. Oh, so yeah. compression. Yeah. Yeah. And rebound. What kind of shock is that? So it's a pneumatic shock, actually. Yeah. And okay. actually, some of these other legs that are used for skiing, for snowboarding, uh -huh. they're they're, they're made by Fox, like Fox right, dirt yeah, bikes, yeah. Fox yeah. shocks. Yeah. And they have uh, they have uh, if you want to call it externally adjustable compression and rebound. You know, just like a shock in a car where you're trying to dial. Uh -huh. Okay. Well, this one here is adjustable uh, compression and rebound, but it's all controlled by the computer that's in here. Right. Okay. So, oh and you're saying, well, why do you want to tune that? So you think about a car, and you know, based on the grip, you know, from the um, from the tractor, what type of uh, surface it is, uh -huh. you know, asphalt, concrete, what type of asphalt it is, the track temperature, the weight of the car. Right. So this is all the way they adjust this and tune it is based on my height, my weight, and my leg length. So the way this works is my foot has a blade in it, which is your spring. You can even see it moving inside the yeah. shoe there. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So you can yeah. see it flexing right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what happens when I walk, my weight comes through, and as, as I walk through, you know, you think about planting your heel and yeah. putting your weight to your toe. There's a certain amount of weight that's going to get put to the toe, and they have all these genius engineers that right, have said, okay, right. you know, based on your weight, at this at this amount of weight, percentage of your weight, is when you're going to want the knee to release. Sure. So, so the knee will yeah, compress, and that. it'll swing. It'll Go into like a free swing, yeah, okay, and as I swing the leg through, it'll, it'll extend right. the knee. Can you bend it back the way it was? Yeah. And that's all. That's all sort of controlled electronically within. Yeah. So when uh, when we want, when we get out of here, uh, I'll show you guys to, the way it works and you know more more in detail. So I'll step down with the heel, and then uh, when a certain amount of weight gets put onto the toe, so I weigh about 150. So I don't know how much weight gets put through the toe when it when it releases. But the reason why they do this is if one of you were to lose your legs, we all walk slightly differently. Yeah. We're, we're slightly taller, we're slightly heavier, whatever it may be. Sure. So you guys are going to need to tune this independently to whatever you guys feel comfortable. Right. Just like a car. You know, and that's what I think makes our series so great is, you know, you drove with who this year? Chad Gilsinger. Chad, Chad Gilsinger, yeah. correct. Um, that's what makes our, our series so great and difficult at the same time is you, Ryan Eversley, have a like the car to be set up a certain sure, way. Yeah. And Chad might not like it that way, right. whether it's spring, shocks, toe, yeah. whatever it may be. So to try to get the car set up so you can be, you know, equally comfortable in it. And with these legs here, you can't do that. Right. You can't tune it so it's, okay, well, it's good enough for 80% of the population because these things are a lifeline here. Mm -hmm. And there's, that's not used as a figure of speech. Is if these things aren't comfortable on you, and they're, they're killing your back, they're, they're killing your hips, and they're making you tired, you're not going to wear these things. Yeah. And the reason why I'm not wearing it right now is because it's so uncomfortable for me to wear because it's not fitting correctly. Uh, okay. So if it was fitting correctly, I would keep this leg, and I would just get up and, and walk out the door, sure, and we're sure. done. But because it's so uncomfortable on me right now, every time I sit down, even at my house on the couch to watch TV, to have dinner, anywhere it is, I'm taking the leg off. And... Everybody's, when you guys read about, you know, the wounded warrior from your local town or whatever, you know, getting his legs blown off, you know, you read about him getting injured, then you might have like a fall for two article of, you know, hey, he's out of the hospital, and then maybe another article of, oh, he's walking now. Well, that walking article that you guys read is probably him walking maybe for the first or second time, and you guys think, oh, he's all better. He's good. Yeah, it's right. good now. Right. It's not. This is right. a, this is a, life, a lifetime yeah. of adjustments and everything of surgeries, of trying different legs out, 
if the socket's not fitting well, you're not walking. I missed a race this year at VIR because my socket wasn't fitting right. I had what's called skin breakdown. And that's not something that that we take for granted as amputees. But you guys all hear of, okay, he's up walking, it's all better. Well, here I am trying to make my career in racing. And three days before one of my favorite races, racing at VIR, you know, I have to call up and say, guys, I can't make it. And you know how much you love racing. You know how much you love doing what you do, Sean. You know, you wouldn't miss a race for anything. I mean, it's got to be something pretty serious for you to miss a race. Well, that's what this is for me. And mentally, I'm fine. I'm not puking my brains out. Right. You know, I'm not right. violently ill with malaria. Yeah. You know, this is, guys, I can't wear my leg. And this isn't a, a joke or anything. This is serious because if, if I were to put my leg on and go off and do that race, I have a high risk of infection due to the other implants that I have on my body. Right. I okay. got metal pieces in my arm here. I got a fake knee in my right in yeah. my in my right knee here. And if I get an infection, the infection will migrate to those areas and it can get into my bone and can kill me. Right. Right. Oh God. Because you've got materials in you that that handle that kind of infection differently than yeah. Than so I have I have a rod, um, a plate, and 23 screws in my right arm holding my right arm together. Um, and I have a total knee replacement in my, in my right knee. So I have an anchor that goes up almost to my hip and down to my ankle in my, uh, in my right knee. Then I have a mechanical metal knee in, in my right knee, much, as, much like, like you see thing, here, yeah, but yeah. it's internal. And when you get foreign bodies in your, in, your, in your body, they tend to migrate and stick to, excuse me, they stick to metal almost like they're magnetized sure, to sure. it. So, and they're very, very hard to get rid of. And like, when I get an infection like that, I actually had one this past December after a surgery that I had. Um, I got violently, violently ill. Really? And my whole, you know how like you guys get that ache when you're really sick with the flu? <laughs> yeah. Multiply that by three or four, but have That's it in one specific area yeah. of your body. And for me, it was my wrist and my back. And every single, I mean, I was almost as wide as the outer edge of this menu here. And my girlfriend's like, you're going to the hospital. I hate going to the hospital. I've done it. lived in You've a hospital. Done it. Yeah. So I do everything I can to avoid it. So I get to the hospital there, and they see me, and boom, IV's in me. They're giving me, like, the strong antibiotics. Well, I couldn't identify where the infection was with me because they're trying to figure out what it is, what's bothering me. So cool story, bro. <laughs> um, We're going to cut this all out. Yeah, <laughs> not interesting at all. So they actually had to give me, uh, they actually, I had a giant syringe. Honest to God, it was about that big around, um, probably about an inch and a half in diameter, and about five or six inches long was this needle, the, the syringe, the, the tube. And then the needle was four inches long. And they put it into me. I forgot where it was because I was so hopped up on payments and everything. Drove it into me and drew all this blood. And they uh, inserted a radioactive isotope into my blood and then put in a centrifuge to the... That's a totally, the, totally normal thing. You know, yeah. you, you guys don't do this once a week? Yeah, when I get a headache, I do the same thing. <laughs> yeah. So they re-injected it into me. So now I have radioactivity in me. And what this does is th somehow or other these guys that say, oh, hey, there's something that dropped out of the chicken. I want to eat it. They're the ones that say, oh, you know, we're going to put a radioactive isotope in your blood and re-inject it into you. Find out what happens. Just see what yeah, happens. I, I'll volunteer to do that, right? <laughs> So the whole premise of this is that white blood cells, God bless you, Thank you. Um, white blood cells go to the infection and fight it. So what they do is they insert this radioactive isotope into your white blood cells. And, and you're going to track it. And then they'll track it. So I get yeah. put under this fancy x-ray cat, cat, uh, cat scan machine, and they could scan, they could see the glow. And are you sitting there for a minute just having to stay still and the yeah. whole thing? Yeah, yeah. So I was, had to be still for 
I don't know, 10, 15, 20 minutes, whatever yeah. it was. And they, <clears> they tracked where they went, see where they migrated to. And finally, they had some sort of infection in my wrist where I just had surgery on it. And my hand, my arm doctor came in and checked it out and, you know, did a whole bunch of fancy x-rays and everything. He said, okay, you know, we, you got it soon enough with the antibiotics that you're on. You know, you're going to be okay. And, you know, this honestly could have ended up being an amputation of my right arm and my racing wow. career was over. Right. Boom, like that. And the and an infection can come from something as simple as that as your leg yeah. being mounted wrong and rubbing to the point. That so it what happens you. is what ended up happening. I had skin breakdowns. So you guys have all had blisters on your feet from your shoes being worn wrong. So your, your blister forms, then it ruptures, and a bad blister will go through the two layers of your skin. Going scientific on you here, your dermis and your epidermis. Sure, I so got that. So those are the two layers yeah. of the skin. Uh huh. So what you said. the uh, the breakdown of my skin was through both layers. And so your skin acts as the barrier from all these foreign particles. So when I had this breakdown, it was through both layers. So when you're in a car and I, I wear these, these liners, there's no, or when I sweat, um, the sweat has nowhere to go. So it'll just go right into that, it's that area of, of exposure. And you know all the, the crap you get in your sweat there and the dirt and everything you get at the track. So I could, I had a very high risk of, you know, getting a severe infection from there and, you know, either losing a leg, losing an arm, and not being able to race again, not even being able to, to walk and being stuck in a wheelchair. So it's one of, the one of these things that I've got to be very careful of for the rest of my life. And I'm very fortunate that John Doonan, um, Derek Whitest, Tom Long, Andrew Carbonell, and my, my whole team are very understanding with this. And they felt really bad for me. You know, there was the whole, you know, leg up Liam thing that went on. Um, you know, they got a lot of talking about from during the uh, during the race broadcast or during the IMSA broadcast and guys wished me well and I felt very humbled with that and people reached out to me and you know wished me well and you know it was it was very kind of everyone to do that so so uh, it, do you have to do anything different because it obviously somebody like you who's at very high risk of infection uh, relative to, to to the rest of us do you have to do anything different at a racetrack because it's a dirty environment where there's stuff blowing everywhere and you name it? No, I don't. It's the main thing I got to worry about is if I start getting skin breakdown, and I, I take it more seriously now because I, I don't want to miss a race. Now I had a, you know, the the rubbing raw uh, going on before. It started at uh, Road America actually, and I kind of was kind of pushed it off, pushed it off, pushed it off, and then all of a sudden it's just like. Boom, it exploded. So at the racetrack, no, not really. But if my leg's not fitting right, like right now, this is what I do to... Because you just wanted to, to go to get, get the redone, didn't you? Yeah, so I just came back from Walter Reed. Um, flew back Thursday night. I uh, was back at my house at 1 o'clock in the morning on Friday. And, um, do you guys want to order? Yeah, right. we should order. Some yeah, we should order. Right, we've yeah. been here for almost an hour. Thank you. Cool, thanks. So I just came back from Walter Reed. I went up there Saturday. I uh, came back... Like I said, th flew back Thursday night. Yeah. Go to Tampa today, and I'll be up there uh, visiting some friends. Uh, Halloween party? To Halloween party, yeah. Where, do you, where are you going as? I'm going as a pimp with a limp. <laughs> <laughs> you got to think say, you like you've with that. I can't claim it. about to say, because you, you've got a huge advantage when it comes to Halloween costumes. You have to take advantage of this. So, you know, there's all, there's the cliches of, you know, go as the pirate, go sure. as uh Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. So See, I don't even think that. Basic oh, I thought about all these things. <laughs> well, not a pirate. Yeah, no, a pirate. I, I, so, do you remember the movie Kids? Yeah. You know, the guy in the skateboard, I have no legs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I want to do that, that one be, here. Then that there was, um, <laughs> what was the other movie? Um, oh, God, I can't think of the movie. Uh, but a homeless guy with no legs and he wears 
Um, he's pushed himself around on the skateboard. I can't think of the movie. My buddy Tim Brown, who's a Marine, was out for Halloween one year. Just absolutely rocked it. So, you know, I, I, I do have a, uh, a few advantages. So, I, one year, I, I'm definitely going to go. So, you guys remember the movie um, um, A Christmas Story? Yeah. And yeah. Remember oh, you're going to be the light lamp? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, I want to go. I want to put a fishnet stocking yeah. on. Yes. And put on. Put on the put on like a lamp the, the lampshade as my waist, and oh, I'm going to be the leg lift. Please, that's what make I want to do happy. one year. Oh wow, <laughs> the things we could do. God bless you know, you. I mean, you got to be seriously demented with this uh, with this stuff. And I, I, I think that's you know part what? of the reason why. Yeah, yes, please yeah, go, go ahead, bud. I don't, I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm, I'm gloating myself here, but I, I think that's part of the reason why people like talking to me, people like hanging out to me, especially at the at the, at the racetrack here, is. I don't care about my injury. I, I make fun of myself with it, and I don't use it as an excuse of like, you know, I'll, oh, I'm not fast because of my leg. Hey, listen, I get it. There's certain things I won't be able to do, and there's certain things I have difficulty with. It's not that I don't care. It's if if I made a big deal of this and and I sat there and moped all the time, and was like, oh, poor me with my leg. We wouldn't be having this conversation, and why well, I wouldn't be racing because it's it's the it's the pity party, and. I don't do the f***ing pity party, all right? None of us do. And those that do, you get sucked into this life of sitting on your couch and doing absolutely damn nothing. And you end up becoming a statistic at that point. And I'm not going to be a damn statistic. And if I could prove to everyone that I could overcome this, people should be able to look at me and say, well, if Liam could overcome that, and he's got all this going on, you know, it's, I, I realize the leg gets the attention. The, the leg is the shock. Oh, my God, he's, he's part RoboCop. He's part, he's part robot. <laughs> um, people see that, and that's the eye catcher. That, that's the piece. But they don't realize everything that's going on. You know, I can't grip a shifter. Do I need to grip it? I can't, you know, me operating, doing a heel-toe. Is it doing a heel-toe like you guys do where you guys rotate with your ankle? My heel-toe comes from my hip since I'm – Lacking the muscles in my in my knee to fully extend it. I don't have the ability to rotate my foot anymore. So I've had to literally relearn how to drive and relearn how to drive fast. I don't have the fine motor control of the foot. So every time I go to apply throttle coming out of a corner, and I'm very fortunate that I'm driving a Mazda MX-5 and I'm not driving you know, a, you yeah, know, a, a, a non-traction controlled you know, 700 horsepower Corvette. Right. <laughs> so I, I don't have to be as as pretty with it but still these cars carry a lot of speed and when you're right on the edge there if you don't get on it right yeah, especially it in the wet you know it's, it's gonna yeah. go around on you so i've really had to take that breath and kind of and squeeze it to the throttle and then i go and look over data afterwards with the engine i'm like okay i could go a little bit more aggressive with it because to try to get that fine motor control and i've gotten better with it um it's it's taken me a while to, to relearn it and you know when i had steven mcalear come up to me after coda after a practice session or something like that um he comes up to me and even chad something he said something he goes your your car control from the beginning of the year till now is immensely better like you are really sliding this car around and you know we're we're, we're having more of a difficult time of keeping up with you now um that was like uh you know, like a feather in the cap type of deal for me to see other drivers. The guy that won the championship. You know, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, come up to me and, and say something. Then even Chad said, said something to me after the uh, the Road Atlanta race. And Steven said something to him over the radio after the first, I don't know, five laps of, Chad, you're going to have to pick up the pace, man. You're not pulling away from Liam. And that was like, you that's, know, okay. That's what you're doing this for. Yeah, yeah. I mean. That's that's the limit, like the level that you're trying to achieve. You know, they're, they're, they're definitely the carrot for me. They, right. they really are. 
and you know I'm I'm hoping um, during this off season I could do a lot more testing, and so I could come into Daytona without having this lag and lack of drive time, right? And get into the car. And so we talk a lot about your progress as a driver today. Um, were you prior to, to doing your your tenure was uh, was there a lot of track days race driving before then? Yeah, before I got this um, this gig with Mazda. Uh, actually, I'll, I'll start before I went to Afghanistan served, in, in yeah. 2010. Um, I would do... How's the food there? I'd, I'd say anywhere between 6 to 10 track days and time trials a year. A few go-kart races, you know, like endurance go-kart racing with yeah. uh, Johan Schwartz. I did that. Yep. So growing up, you're always this was always something you wanted to do. Um, I, I'd always loved cars. Yeah. And, you know, I, I can't think of any 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12-year-old that's, that's not saying, oh, I want to be a... NFL player, I want to be sure. an NBA player, oh, I want to be a pro race car driver. Um, when I got to be, I didn't do my first track day. Like, I didn't grow up doing carts like you did. Um, my parents were divorced. We didn't have the money for it. And you grew up? Uh, you grew up? I grew up in Connecticut. Okay. So I grew up um, about an hour away from Lime Rock. I mean, I went to Lime Rock and watched um, P.J. Jones set, set the all-time lap record there on the Camel GTP cars. Um, I remember watching them flip over the uh, the uphill, coming over right, the uphill overs, up yeah. at 130 miles an yeah. hour, whatever it was, and just sailing off there. <laughs> um, so I've always had a affinity for cars. I loved them. And every time we did, like, our go-karts on, you know, our vacation, now I can remember going to Ocean City and they had the uh, the slick tracks down there. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you had to be 12, 13 years old to do this, and I'm 8 years old, and I would lie through the teeth about my age. Yeah. Hey, boy, how are you? That's 12 years old, sir. Yeah. What's your birthday? July 4th, 1977. All right. Yeah. So I'd get out there, and I would just mop the floor with people. And I had no, like, driving experience. It's not like I came up from go-karts. And people would come off the track, like, kids, you're good. You know, where'd you learn how to drive? I don't know. I just drive really good. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so we, my father got a, a Mustang GT when I was a freshman in high school. We started doing track days with it, and I... I had an automotives class in my high school, and I started doing that. And so we'd bring the car there, and I did, like, all the mods to the car. I put in the shocks, the springs, the, the sway bars, the subframe connectors, the cage, the brakes. Well, that's how I learned to work on cars. Here we are just getting involved in track days, and it's like, okay, you know, the track goes right here, and the track goes left here, and, you know, what's a line, yeah. what's your break points? A little redneck engineering. You know, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So that's how I learned about it, and I – Wish I got more involved with that in my 20s, but I was in the Marine Corps at the time then. So I really didn't get fully immersed into cars until I went to Japan in 2001, and I bought a third-gen RX-7. Nice. 2500 bucks over Japan. What? Yeah. So I started drifting at that point, did, uh, did mountain drifting, ah, um, or okay. what we call toge racing. Was it just like in Tokyo Drift? Where you're like out with your buddies and you're like one handing with a hot girl on the right side having a casual we, conversation. We had a few hot girls out there right. with us, but they were driving their what and this we is call when you the were in And you were this is when you're in USMC. You're doing a yeah. tour in, in yeah. Japan. So okay. I this is a movie. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure this is. Fast I've seen this movie. Or it's, it's uh, Fast, Fast and Furious, Furious Tokyo Drift. Tokyo, yeah, 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 right. Yeah. So <laughs> Tokyo Drift obviously kind of blows it up a little bit, but we literally drift on these. Mountain road that actually at night at one two o'clock in the morning. Right, that's exactly like the movie. And uh, yeah, isn't the guy there because his dad's in the military? Yeah, yeah. well, yeah. he got 
He got arrested with his drug <laughs> dealing mom over in California. Did you write this movie? Yeah. Um, Did you? I was the subscript. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> was Paul Walker nice? Did you ever get to meet him at any point? No, that movie had uh, poor man's Paul Walker. Well, no, I'm just saying. I'm yeah, sure yeah. he was used in all of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. fair enough. <laughs> so I came back from there, and the, some of the money I had saved, I went to the Skip Harbor three-day racing school. Okay. And Heard of it. We've heard of it. Um, yeah. At some track in Connecticut, Limerick? Limerick, yep. Limerick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. And... The uh, you know I had some instructors there and we had actually in some in my class we had some uh, um, Conti drivers yeah. you know at the time I forgot who they were so um, they they put uh, lap times on me that unbeknownst to me and here I am I'm doing like 59 second laps of lime rock in this car right and I come back and you know Phil Lombardi at the time was, was the instructor yeah, comes, yeah. goes uh, and Bruce McInnes yep. comes up to me goes. How much racing have you done? I'm like, oh, you know, just autocrossing. Uh, you need to get involved in racing. I'm like, well, how good am I? He goes, you're running the lap times that the instructors do. And I'm like, cool. And he goes, you're faster than everybody else here. Oh, you know, if, if it had been, you know, just other Joe Schmoes there, I'd have been like, you know, whatever. whatever. But, but being that we had some, some racing. The overall there. moral I'm hearing, which is something that, that I think Ryan and I can really advocate for, is is – you used to do some, you know, illegal street racing and soup up your car and <laughs> yeah, go do yeah. stupid stuff. But it wasn't until you started really racing that you appreciated what speed really was and how to drive. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, at the time there, I'm just driving what feels normal and how I should be doing it. Right. I never really put too much thought into being like, oh, I'm faster than everybody else. Here was just, you know, okay, I, I came out of today number one. Because there were days I'd come out of there fifth or sixth, uh, depending on the cars that were there. I was like, okay, you know, I, I didn't want to say, hey, no big deal, whatever, I did I'm not saying I didn't care, but it w- they put a lot of thought into it. And when I came back, actually the joke was when we went to Afghanistan, I, it was actually just reading over um, this journal that I kept there. And we had gone through a, um, a uh, what do you call it, an, an advanced lifesaver course over there, okay. uh, CLS. And, you know, a <laughs> combat lifesaver course. And For, yeah, we, we do that too. Yeah, yeah I know the training we went on before our podcast. <laughs> right. And yeah, uh, that's what we did earlier this morning. <laughs> so it's uh, it's kind of a slightly advanced form of you want to call it like CPR. You know, because the injuries that we're going to sustain over there are going to be right. they're going to be traumatic and, and they're going to be life threatening. The idea blood. being that when you're on site and something goes really bad, that we know exactly what to do to, to try to, to try minimize the bleeding right away or, sure. or slow yeah. up the bleeding. And I, I joked with the corpsman that we had, their corpsman being our, being our medic. I said, listen, I'm going to step on a bomb, and it's just going to be the way it is, all right? Your job is to make sure I only lose my left leg. Because if I lose my left leg, and I said this in my journal, um, I can still operate a clutch. <laughs> Not realizing no. that, you know, you could lose it up at the hip or have a pelvectomy. Um, but if I lose my left leg, I can still operate the gas to break with my right foot, and I'll be good. So six months later, I... Step on a bomb and lose my left leg. And so I was reading that the other day, and I'm like, wow, I actually really did say that. This isn't just some, like, hey, story that I told to try to make myself yeah. sound cool. I actually did say that to my right. foreman. And, you know, sure enough, I, I lost my left leg, and sure enough, I'm driving. But never did I ever imagine right. it would get to this level. If you had said to me. So the next time you should be like, so just in case I were in the Sofia Vergara. Yeah. You know, <laughs> just yeah. in case I win the lottery and twenty million dollars. Yeah. yeah, twenty million. That's it, man. I'll blow through that in a day with the racing. <laughs> so uh, uh, the drug habits got to be way worse. So it's how funny. did you two meet? Because you're from California. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. you know, uh, grinding bathhouse. Yeah. 
Well, our jokes are the same. Hey, I missed that. I had food in my mouth because I was chewing really <laughs> loudly in the microphone. Yeah, the first project we worked on was actually with Lee Davis. Um, it was very similar position as you because I had a um, minor fraction, minor fracture on my right leg. <laughs> and yeah. I had to do like six weeks on crutches. So yeah, it was miserable. pretty much the same thing. <laughs> um, and I, but, but despite that, I still yeah, was videotaping. Actually, it, it really is. Yeah. So, you but your you're leg grew back. So yeah, no, now I'm walking normally. And, and this, <laughs> this, no this physique you have is simply laziness. That's so. actually a crazy story how he broke his leg. He got hit by a kid in a go-kart. Yeah. At a go-kart when race. I was so filming. He was filming. Yeah. It was like a pro, not pro, but like a real no, go-kart. Not deal, just like yeah. some dude in a neighborhood. Yeah. Like this kid, does he have a stuck throttle or something, or is just no? Two guys tangled, and that was that. Yeah, and so Sean's like looking the other way, and he gets hit by a racing go kart at like seventy yeah. miles an hour or yeah. something, like goes flying through the air. No wonder why they have spotters for the photographers. At the no, no, that's yeah. the thing. That's where I was standing. <laughs> Damn it! Because <laughs> <laughs> I remember there was like another photographer who was like, like he didn't know me at all, so he didn't know I'd done a lot of pro racing. So he yeah. just thought I was some amateur from Indiana with a with a video camera. Right. And he's like, "Yeah, man, that's why you got to stick to the yeah." I stood right there. <laughs> and he's like, oh, okay. Um, but I remember when I was flying through the air, I honest to God. You were like, this must be what stepping on an IED <laughs> is like. <laughs> and you landed. I honest to God, as I was midair, thought, was wondering what just got taken off because it was a really big hit. Yeah, but, yeah it but, came up pretty good. Yeah, it, was, it actually was a long time. But uh, uh, but on that note, like, do you read these people like, oh, my God, I can barely walk today because I've got a minor stress fracture. Do you read that and just go, you. So, actually, no, I don't. Okay. Liar. <laughs> no, no, I'll tell you why. Um, pain is relative. And what I mean by that is there are some people that will go through their life. Uh, we'll, we'll just say, I don't want to say elementary years, but your childhood years. And some kids will never break a bone, never sprain an ankle. So, if the worst thing that you know of is, you know, falling off your bike and, you know, smacking your shoulder, your dome on the ground or whatever. That's what you know is a 10 of 10 pain. Okay, that, I mean, that's the most painful thing you've ever experienced. You know, but when you go, when you break a very hard bone to break, your femur, um, your, your clavicle, your, your humor, something like that, I mean, those are, I don't want to say legitimately painful as if, like, what you experienced wasn't painful, but it's on a different level of pain. And, you know, I've sprained, I, I, we think we, tore, we, I think, excuse me, I think I did something ligament-wise in my right knee, like sixth grade, um, playing football, um, just like at recess, and you know, never got it, you know, X-rayed or anything like that, or, or MRI. But I can remember having just feeling a pop in the back of my knee and just having this terrible pain. You know, now knowing what I know now about injuries, I'm sure it was you know ACL, MCL, PCL, whatever it might have been, you know, slight slight tear or something like that. Um, so p pain is all relative, and you know I've been through some what I consider painful things before, but this pain was on a whole new level for me. Yeah, I'd imagine. I mean, and I can't imagine. Actually. It's yeah, you say that, but so yeah, when people I know. come in and say, you know, oh my God, I can't believe you know you're able to deal with this. It's not that I'm able to deal with it. It's one of those things that you just get acclimated to. Well, I assume you sort of have no choice, so you just you deal you with really it. You really don't. So yeah. it's either live and deal with it or live it or just suffer with it. Yeah. And I don't want to suffer with it. And so am I in pain? Yeah, I'm, I'm in pain constantly. Some days are worse than others. But I've, I've also made it my point that I'm not going to be high in pain meds. Listen, I've been on Dilaudid. I've been on ketamine. I've been on morphine, you know, super high doses of this stuff. And... The hallucinations that I saw and the, the vivid memories that I thought were real but weren't, um, 
I, I don't understand how people get addicted to these things because my personal experience of it was pretty f***ing shitty. And, like, I legitimately thought my mom kid was paying for the Navy SEALs to kidnap me and to drop me over the Chesapeake Bay to beat my alligators and sharks. Right. Seriously. Like, it was that, a that was, that was like, real this is actually yeah. happening. And I refused to see my mom in the hospital for two or three days. Refused to see her. And so I'm in, I'm in the ICU. Um, I'm on every single pump that you can imagine. If, um, there, if you guys ever watched the, um, the Sports Center, uh, thirty for thirty or something, thirty for thirty or, yeah. or whatever it was that they did. I mean, there's a forty-five second piece of someone videoing me in the hospital, and I'm like, I'm either out of it or just coming to, and you can see all the crap that's on me. I, I literally can't move. I'm, yeah. um, I have a. Um, what do they call it? A thing that goes in your mouth that goes into your lungs to breathe for me because I had to collapse along. Um, it's, I wasn't trached. It was, they didn't trach me. They put the tube down. So I couldn't speak. Um, I couldn't breathe on my own. Um, I couldn't move any of my limbs. So I'm sitting there like this, and the only thing I could do is blink. And it was just, it was just an absolutely horrible experience. And here I am thinking I'm getting kidnapped by the Navy SEALs my, and the thought right. in my mind is yeah. my mom is, is paying to get them away from me. So I couldn't even communicate with my mom afterwards. And I explained this to my, my nurse that I had you know, a day or two later. And, you know, the guy's name was Cody. He was the nicest guy in the world. And here I am, you know, for five or ten minutes explaining the story to him. And he didn't interrupt me. He listened to me. And after all, my whole story, he goes, Liam, I was here with you the whole night. You weren't kidnapped. I was here with you taking care of you. Your mom didn't try kidnapping you. You were having a hallucination. And here I am. You don't yeah, know what I went through. Right. I'm crying, right? Now you're like, you're in on it. No, like, yeah. no, I thought he was in on it. Exactly. Yeah. He's like, that didn't happen. And my father came in. My father's, you know, my parents were divorced. My parents don't get along all that well. My father says, you know, your mom didn't try kidnapping you. You've been here. You're in the hospital. And it took me two or three days to realize that that really didn't happen. And... So, anyways, going back to what I was saying is I don't understand how these people could get hooked on these pain meds because the stuff that I envision, I, I couldn't read. You know, you would give me, I just ordered a Boss Mustang at the time, and that's a different story. But my buddy comes in with the pamphlet and all the information on the car, and I'm so excited for it. And I go to read it, and I can't read it. It's just, it's blurred. And I'm like, why, did, why does anybody want to feel this way? This is miserable. So I was like, I got to get off pain meds. And it took me a long time. The pain that I had was so high. I mean, I'm sitting there every minimal amount of time, five, six, seven, eight, ten minutes, press my call PCA so I could get a shot of ketamine or morphine or Dilaudid, whatever I was on at the time. And I was only doing that so I could get rid of the pain so I could hopefully get some sleep. But then the side effect was, you know, I can't remember anything. I, it was really bad. So finally when it started to subside, I was like, got to get rid of this. I want to be normal and so when I have surgeries now um, they're like all right you know Liam we're gonna send you home with uh, you know, 180 pills of Percocet I'm like why I'm only gonna take it for two days oh you're gonna need it longer than that no I'm taking my, myself off this shit. so two three days later or a week later excuse me going for my follow-up oh, how's the pain doing well, I'm off pain meds no you're not my girlfriend's like he hasn't taken pain meds since he got home I took it for that night so he could get some sleep and he hasn't been out they're like Really? He hates pain meds. I hate him with the passion, man. I really do. 
So pain is all relative is, is what I'm getting to. And so then, okay, but screw that. On this side of it, when you read a Facebook status, it's like, ugh, worst day ever. Starbucks got my order wrong. Traffic, blah, blah, blah. Do you think back to laying in a ditch that you had to dig for an hour and freezing Afghanistan at night and then being told at, like, midnight, like, nope, we're moving. Got to go dig ditches in another place. Get up. Go move. Dig another hole. Sleep in that hole. An hour later, nope, we got to move again. Dig a hole. So I'll tell Is you a story. Is that when you're like, shut up. Just shut up. <laughs> yes and no. M most of the time, yes. Yeah. Um, when we say first world problems, American problems, yeah. it's because we had this very glamorous life where we go to Starbucks, we could order what we want, and then we all get pissed because they f up the order. Right. I get it. It's annoying. How hard is it to make a f cup of coffee? You yeah. know, posting on Facebook is like, dude, get the hell over yourself. Right. Um, but when people sit here and say, you know, this sucks, you know, I broke my leg doing this or that I don't mind, but I almost want to post on people's pages when I see them, you know, complaining about stuff that you talk about, being like, really? This is the worst you're going to do? And I'll do that because of who I am with everything I've been through, but at the same token, I don't do that because of who I am and everything I've been through. Yeah. There's very, very few people that can relate to what I've been through. And I'm not going to sit here and keep throwing that out there in people's faces, because let's face it, it'll get annoying after a while and yeah. be like Liam listen we get it you're so much better than us because it. you've right. been through Thanks that your and I don't want to be that See, guy I'd be playing that card daily I, I don't like, want I to I could get dinner it but <laughs> it'll get annoying and you know those people that constantly complain about things no you, 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 you don't associate with them and then you have those people that are constantly throwing themselves out there of like well I don't know why you're in pain because this is what I've been through it would get annoying. Right. It's, yeah. the, it's the opposite end of the spectrum, and I don't want to be that guy. Yeah, I hear that, that was kind of one of the questions I had, and, and it relates to another question, but um, are you at the point now where, like, if you're at the racetrack and uh, the series, for example, I'm not harping on IMSA, but or, 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 like, a sponsor is, like, just all the time, like, hey, Liam, you know, can you talk about the thing? And you don't want to talk about that. You want to talk about being a race car driver. And does it ever get to the point where you tell a story and they're like, cool, now, now, now tell a story about, uh, about your leg. And you're like, uh, no, no, I kind of want to talk about racing. So, to me at this point, it's beyond, it's, it's getting finally a little bit beyond just the leg where people are seeing what I could do in a car. You know, I still think there's the, you know, I'm, I'm going to bring attention to the team be because of who I am. And I have no problem with that because that only benefits the team and it's going to benefit me. But you're, as Ryan Eversley, as a, as a team manager, you're not going to hire me to drive for you because of my leg. You need me to win. And if not win, have the car towards the front. But I'm, I'm, really, I'm really starting to think at this point, the teams that are approaching me, that they're doing it somewhat for the, because I'm going to bring attention to the team. Right. But also, I'm going to be able to bring the car, keep the car up front. And, you know, I'm not, they're not supposed to be like, okay, well, here's Liam and Dwyer driving for whatever team back in 17th place. It's, well, you know, Liam Dwyer was down battling for fifth. You know, this is a great battle we got going on here for fifth place, you know, because the leaders weren't away with it or something like that. Or maybe, you know, I have the car at the sharp end of the field, and it's getting a lot of coverage that way. With the uh, injury, I dated a girl that uh, broke her neck in two places about six years ago. Still friends with her. She was a very, like, uh, outgoing, you know, mover and shaker before, and then the injury really set her back because she basically lost the use of the left side of her body. 
she does not like when people try to do things for her because she yeah. wants to do it herself because yeah. she can do it herself. Yeah. Are you that way? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure because you travel as much as you do, you get a lot of people on airplanes or wherever that are like, oh, let me help you. And you're like, yeah. duh. A, th- a, lot, a lot of the times they, they get in the way. So, for example, I'll just use this one, is when I fall. Um, I, I'm going to fall. It's just, just the nature of the game. I, I appreciate you trying to catch me and, and lessen the blow, but just let me fall and it, but the, the part of that is you're not going to help me getting up right i know how to get up i know how to you get myself going yeah and it's everybody's got their system the way they do things and when somebody gets in the way they f- up your system and you end up not doing it the right way and you end up having to do it over <laughs> right and so there are certain things i don't like you know getting help with there are certain things that i do and one of the deficiencies that i have with my body now is my right hand so I love steak, and but unfortunately with steak, because of my right hand, I have an extreme difficult time cutting my steak. Sometimes I'll ask people to, to cut the steak for me, Yeah. and that I don't have a problem doing with. But when it comes to, like, pulling my bag at the airport, let me freaking do it. Yeah. Unless, I'm, unless I'm going down a steep decline, then I'll need a little bit of help. Um, there have been a few guys I met at the airport just randomly, like we're sitting there waiting to get on the plane. I strike up a conversation. You know, I, I don't want to say check the dude out. Like, hey, how you doing? Good looking boy? guy. Yeah. Wink at you a little bit. Yeah, yeah. You like that? Are you on Grinder too? Um, <laughs> 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 Looks like I got a match on me. Hmm. One oh, tenth of a mile ten away. Ten feet away. <laughs> oh, Who is, is he? it? Who oh, is it? That's him. <laughs> Great movie, by the way. <laughs> um, so I've struck up conversations with people. And this is particularly like when I'm flying like Southwest because you board by, you know, when you checked in. And most people want to sit up front on the flights. I get it. So if I feel like you're a legit dude, I'd be like, hey, you know I'm board the plane early? Yeah. You wanna, I, try, I yeah. try to do this with chicks too. And it's worked out a few times. Yeah, that has. Yeah. And um, so I'll be like, hey, just carry my bag down for me. Really? Yeah, just carry it down. I'll say you're helping me out. They're not going to question me. And if they do, I make a scene of it, and I make them look like a dick. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I've done that a few times. So I've done it with hot chicks. And yeah. The type right. of dude that I am. It's, you know, I see other people that seem like they're, they're decent people. They get and, it, yeah. You know, hey, l- let me get you on the plane early. It's kind of like my way of giving back now, which you talked about earlier. Which is you what you need to do. You need to give back. Yeah. Because you haven't done enough. I mean, come on, Stop dude. Stop giving it's, back. Um, I have an advantage now, yeah. if you want to call it that. But, and but a lot of people wouldn't say it that way. Which is why I love you. Because, so, I, mean, I mean, the fact that you're like, no, oh, I got an advantage. I blew my leg off. So it's um, sort of like a BOP, really. <laughs> like if you lose a leg. <laughs> Let's not go into BOP. You know, oh, my God. You gain a restrictor. Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm saying. <laughs> the, 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 the world is like you've lost your leg, so we're going to give you some notoriety. It's a BOP. <laughs> I love that. It's the BOP that of life. You, you it's just, the BOP you of just life. just put BOP on the map. Yeah. Like it's real In now. life. It's real This now. is God's BOP. <laughs> yeah. Please. Man, that's a God's BOP. God's BOP. You're welcome, world. And wow, Liam. I, I <laughs> never, Lord. I never envisioned it that way. Yeah, me either. Wow. Random question: uh, Do you watch movies? Do you watch war movies? That's yeah, really yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't know. Both like, questions. Yes. yes. Uh, who, who gets it right? In we've, what we're going to talk like about this. with uh, with war movies, like you know, like uh, movies that have come out recently, American Sniper or or. or uh, 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 Lone Survivor. Lone Sur- those so, have you read the book Lone Survivor? I have not. Um, read the book. Okay. And I'm not sitting here knocking Mark Wahlberg or knocking no, the no, movie. No, sure. Phenomenal movie. It yeah. really is. Like, right. um, 
the amount of detail that they they put into that movie to make it seem legit, to make it seem real, um, was it was very very close to the book. Um, American Sniper, um, Bradley Cooper, yeah, uh, thought did Kyle. a phenomenal job acting. I think um, Clint Eastwood did a phenomenal job directing or yeah, producing the movie. Yeah, um, what I didn't like about American Sniper is they made it seem like that he just kept deploying and would only deploy just to go off and get that other sniper. Yeah. Yeah. So that's not the way it works. Yeah, he's just yeah. going to do the right. job. He, he, he went where the Navy sent him. Right, right. And if, the, if that sniper happened to be there, he happened to be there. On top of that, when he did get the sniper, um, he kept he kept deploying afterwards. Yeah. And yeah. on top of that, when he went to the VA and got involved with, you know, doing the shooting thing with the guys, it wasn't like he went there once and was like, oh, I get it. No, it's, it was multiple visits and yeah. saying, okay, what do I get to do? So in that regard, the movie didn't depict that correctly. Um, there, were, there were certain things that, that I got right. Um, and I'll, I'll just put this relation in there. Uh, when in, in um, the other movie, Little uh, Survivor. Yeah. When... Now they're in the firefight there, and you can see like the, the dust kicking up where the rounds are impacting really yeah. close to them. Taliban can't shoot worse. That's I. Is that they true? can't. They're, okay. they're like the stormtroopers of the modern yeah, era. Yeah, exactly. Okay. That's they can't true. hit you. I thought that too when I watched that scene because they're like getting shots in really close, and it's really accurate. And I'm like, everything I've ever read because I read a ton of this stuff is that like you guys are generally like laughing at them no. in the middle of a firefight because you're like, really? Right, we are. Yeah, Seriously. Yeah. So. Is that training? Like is that weaponry? What is like it? So, for, it first off, the AK-47 is not as, not as accurate as the M4. Um, the AK-47 being a 7.62 round and usually firing at a slightly higher velocity, but it's a it's a bigger round, yeah. so it's not as accurate over longer distance. Uh, but when it hits you, it does a little bit more damage. Right. Just, you know, it's the difference between getting hit with a semi-truck or getting hit with a uh, Mazda Miata. Yeah. Okay. Are they both going to get sucked get getting hit at 30 miles an hour by them? Yes, but let's face it, which one's probably going to do more damage? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. The Miata. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are you driving the Miata? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I'm gonna make damage. sure that hits yeah. you in the weak spot. Uh, <laughs> but you know, you see that movie where the rounds are impacting really yeah. close, but not hitting them. You're like, oh, you know, that's just a movie. That's you know, they're trying to blow it up a little bit, right? You know, the bad guys never get shot, or the good guys never get shot. One of the very first firefights that I was in, um, we got what's called a caught in a toilet bowl ambush. So we have these buildings to our left and our right, these compounds. They don't have buildings like we have, they're mud huts. So we're walking down in between these mud huts and the Taliban had set up an ambush where they had the higher ground on both sides and in front of us. So it's kind of like a toilet bowl, it's a U-shape. And on top of that, they're above us. So now they're not firing directly across, you know, shooting at themselves and us, they're shooting down. So we're getting fired on from both sides. And I can remember, Seeing the muzzle flashes. You guys ever shoot weapons before? Okay. Um, so when you fire a weapon, if you fire it at night, you can see the 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 flame shoot out a little bit. That's the explosion taking place there. It's just like a car. Um, like you know, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what you're seeing. So I could see the muzzle flashes of this guy shooting at me, and on top of that, I could see the rounds impacting, like right in front of me. Ryan, when I say right in front of me, I'm talking like the one quarter of the distance between me to you right yeah, now. We're yeah. Three feet away from each other. Easy, yeah. So they're impacting right in front of me, right beside me. And rounds, when they pass by you, bullets are traveling faster than the speed of sound. And when rounds are within six, seven, eight feet of you, they have this, this snap. And it's the, 
around breaking the sound barrier yeah. when it goes near you. But when rounds, uh, it's a it's a snap, almost like uh, you're snapping a belt. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But when rounds are super close to you, I'm talking within inches of you, they have a zipping noise. Zip, zip. And I can remember looking at this and seeing the rounds impact me, seeing the muscle flash and hearing the rounds go by me. And I'm like, this dude is legit trying to kill me. So, so I can remember being like, this feels like I'm in a fucking movie. Yeah. Like, really? Th this actually happens? And then here's the crazy part of being like, okay. But this is your life. I mean. No, like, this dude is yeah. legitimately trying to kill me. I'm going to kill this motherfucker. Right. I'm going right. to kill this dude before he kills me. Right. It's me All versus right. you now. You know? Yeah. So, and he's in a covered, concealed position. You know, he's elevated. He's got, he's firing what's called from a murder hole. Or, he, no, he's not from firing from a murder hole, but he's on top of this building. So he's firing down. He's got a ledge that he's firing from. Yeah. And I can remember placing accurate rounds, like getting my scope on him and like just firing off. You know, at first when I'm in the firefight, boom, 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 I'm racking off rounds. And I'm like, all right, I got to calm down, yeah. take that breathing. Meanwhile, I'm getting shot at. <laughs> And then being like, okay, let me fire up more accurate rounds. And then as I fired more, at, fired off more accurate rounds, his his rate of fire slowed down. Sure. And I was like, okay, now if I really want to get this guy, I gotta stand up and run under a field of bullets that are firing at me, and get to a better position so I could fire at him better, right. have have more accurate fire. And so that's what I did. I got up with the body and we ran while other guys laid down suppressive fire. We located close with and destroyed the enemy. Right. And we were able to break contact in, I don't know, like 30 minutes, whatever. Um, but going back to the movie is when you see these firefights in the movie now, you know, I'm so critical the way war, war movies are and how yeah. they're filming it. So I thought um, Lone Survivor got it done more accurately than um, Sniper. American Sniper. And I'm not knocking that movie because it was a phenomenal movie. But you also have to take the context of the story of Lone Survivor is focusing on one incident, you know, that one patrol yeah. that they were on and this one thing that happened. Right. And you've got to compress this down to a two-hour two movie. Yeah. Where American Sniper is the course of, His life you know, eight, yeah. ten years. Yeah, yeah. And now you got to compress this down to two hours. Do it, yeah. So I know it sounds like I'm being critical of the movie, and I am, but take the context of it. You know, it's just you use this, for example, of, was just used me for for that matter of, with my racing. Mm -hmm. You know, I, we talked about earlier about my story getting blown up because of that Wyndham Memorial Day weekend. Right. You can make the movie of me racing, you know, of me racing, crashing out of Monster Raceway. That's the low point of the movie. And then the next thing is now it's the buildup of going to Lime Rock and the climax is winning at Lime Rock. And that's, that's your movie, okay? But now you go into the full season of what we have this year of, you know, the climax is going to be Road Atlanta. You know, you can't go into details what happened at Daytona, what happened at Sebring. So which one's going to be more accurate? So, yeah, I, I get it. So, but when you have these other crazy movies, Starship Troopers, for example. <laughs> movie's amazing. <laughs> love that movie. It is amazing. I, Some I great scenes in there with movie. Denise Richards mm -hmm. and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, uh... No, but like, because there's the one scene when that what's his name? I can't remember the guy who plays like the the old grizzled sergeant, like dread or whatever. Yeah, uh, I think I know. Is this where they when he like he gives away how he's gonna die early oh, on? Oh, he's no. like, you know, if one of those bugs gets me, I expect you to shoot me. I'm like, well, that's gonna show up in an hour. Uh, yeah. And, no. you know. My favorite part of that movie is when uh, they they go to that outward base and they find the first like body that uh, 
has been has the uh, brain yeah. sucked yeah. out of it. And he's, and he's got his hands inside the dude's skull, and he looks at the camera really slow, and he goes, they sucked his brains out. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, this is a terrible movie. This is awesome. Yeah. No, awesome. In a good way. Yeah, yeah. In a good way. It's, it's, it's his funny how like, you judge like, movies like that. Holy like, shit. That's so terrible. But yeah, still a good movie. But it's, it's a cult classic now. It's a cult classic yeah, now. Because it's, it's, it's so corny. Johnny Rico. Um, what about Generation Kill? You're a big fan of that? We, we uh, are not. Never watched it. What? Yeah. So we're good friends with a guy named uh, Jason... Myers, who's also a staff sergeant, right? I don't know what his he's title a, was. He's a but sergeant. He, he's a he was part of sort of the first group that kind of went through He was in the sister Iraq. platoon that, yeah. uh, that, that was going in with uh, the Generation Kill guys okay. that the series is based off of. And uh, he says, like, he's watched it, obviously. He's the one that told me to watch it. And he's like, they got it. He's like, they pretty much nailed it for, okay. for, for the amount of time they had to do it. You know, for the series, there's only two seasons or whatever. Yeah. Um, and it's an HBO season. But he's like, yeah, that's pretty much it. And a lot of, like, there's three guys in the show that are actually, they're playing themselves. Oh, cool. You know, and they cool. got to go and train with everybody and teach them how to really do it. And it's based off the book. And I read the book. The book was actually written by Evan Wright, who is a Rolling Stones uh, journalist. Like, he does a lot of articles for those guys. And he started doing a, you know, column, like, for about a year where he, he's embedded with the, the platoon that went in. And he wrote so much stuff, but he could only put in, like, four pages at a time in Rolling Stone because they have other shit to do. And so he wrote the book, Generation Kill, and it's all about his time there. And he was in the lead Humvee that went across the lines. They were the first group in, you know, and he was in the lead car. That's pretty wild. And this is something I had no idea about. But the – I'm trying to think of the right way to say this. The lack of proper tools being used – like, they were a light armor vehicle training group, but then they got stuck in Humvees with no body armor and sent across the lines. And you're, like, w- w- reading the book, and you're, like, wait, 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 what? Yeah. Like, they just well, basically so you read it. you read it now, and you're, like, really? That's what you guys dealt with then? Yeah. I mean, th- think about think about it in race cars. You know, yeah. I, I'll keep referencing sure. this because you get it. Uh, we race the cars that we race now with all the safety equipment. Yeah. But just go back to uh, – 2000. Yeah, no okay. Hans device. 15 years ago. Yeah, no Hans device. No, no Hans. Yeah. The roll cages weren't nowhere near as, like, the, as good as they yeah, are now as far as like materials, as the seat technology, yeah. the harness technology. Yeah. Um, I mean, do you even look at NASCAR with the thin, giant steering wheels that they were using? Right. Jeff Gordon, when he started racing 24 years ago. Yeah. Um, and, and you look at the prototype technology then. But to argue that, they were a light armor vehicle platoon that was then put into Humvees. Right, right. So it's you're really so dealing they with took what away you their device, at that time. You know what I mean? And, you know, you have a light armored platoon. Then you have, you know, like the, um, if you want to call it like the, the, the company or squad that gets inserted with helicopters and stuff like that. And you do all your training, say, out of uh, out of 53, CH-53s. But then when you get in country, you're operating out of CH-46s, which carry considerably less people than 53s. And you're saying, oh, this is all we got to deal with over here. All, all this sucks. Well, it is what it is. And we, the government allocates, allocates quite a bit of money to the military every year. But no matter what happens, it's never enough money. Because everybody overspends, and you got so many greedy people somewhere where they spend it on shit that they don't need to spend it on. And that's what they had at the time there. And when I deployed to Iraq in 06, um, we had four trucks because one of them was a, an open-back Humvee with just steel plates on the side. And it was a troop carrier. And the Taliban, or I'm sorry, the um, the insurgents in Iraq knew to target those Humvees because they were very light on the armor at the time. 
You know, they had more armor than what your buddy had, um, but they carried all the troops. And they knew to target those because that you're going to get the most casualties out of it. And if you didn't kill them, you at least got six, seven, eight guys off the battlefield. And then the armor slowly got better and better. And I got hit by uh, IED January of 07. I was in a Humvee that we, sorry, the lead Humvee. So this is the one that we focused on when we had allocation that would get the best armor on it. So this was our first really up-armored Humvee with the thick armor. You know, we had three-inch thick glass on it. I had just up-armored the turret. And uh, it was that up-armoring that, that saved our lives. And the IED, fortunately, wasn't placed very well. But if it had been, excuse me, two, three weeks prior, with the armor that we had on it before, which is considerably better than the armor that your buddy had on it, um, the driver would have been seriously injured. The guy behind the driver would have been injured. And I would have been more seriously injured than, than I was. And I had very, very minor, minor injuries. So that's the first IED attack. Yeah. yeah. So you're you're patrolling with what with what you have at the time and you don't know what your your enemy has for capabilities and the only way i could i could say this is and to maybe put an analogy to it is technology will make a bullet okay and that same technology will make a bulletproof vest that will stop that bullet well then the technology will make a bullet that will go through that vest and then so now you need to make a best that will stop that better bolt. So you're going back and forth. So a reoccurring thing we've had on the show since it started is a pass along question. So Shay Adam, who is a sports car racing know it all. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Total pit side reporter. Yeah, no, she's a pit lane reporter, uh, uh, product of the sport. Her dad was a, a factory Audi driver and just old school racer. We had dinner with her last night. She had a question for you, and it was, uh, what made you want to stay in racing after you experienced your first loss? And meaning, like... Loss on the racetrack. Yeah, what keeps you going? What keeps you motivated since it's obviously a very tough road to stay at? The the simple short answer? Sure. I'm a damn winner. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not saying that because I've won races. No, no. I love that. And... And, and also to caveat with that is it's not me that's won the races. I've just been a part of the team that's won the races. The way I, I envision that is I could have easily taken my injury and said, well, I'm done with life. I'm not going to go out and do anything now because I got blown up. That's, that's, my, that's my letdown. This is my knockdown. I'm not getting up. I get up from things. I dust myself off, crick my neck back and forth, shrug the shoulders a little bit, pick up your leg. Pick up the leg if it's, <laughs> if it's detached, <laughs> reattach it, make sure it's on right, fall back over, put it back on, <laughs> make sure my nut sack's out of my socket, pull that out, crack a beer, crack a beer, maybe spray some champagne. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I looked at that, that accident as like, I really need to prove to these people, to everyone, that I could do this. I'm not here as a charity thing. And... So that's, that's why I got back in the car. Want to prove to anyone, to everyone, not just prove to myself, but to prove to everyone that I deserve to be here. And when Mazda gave me the opportunity to come back this year, I was like, oh, thank God, because I, I still felt like last year that I was still riding on coattails of people. And even for the beginning of the season, riding on the coattails of Andrew. And Andrew, like I said, has been a phenomenal friend and phenomenal coach. And I 
still my my opinion I need to prove to everyone that I that I belong here because let's face it I mean at most sport I, I ran well at most sport until I got the penalty um, and then the way pit stop cycle through we were running up front there and we finished second because of Andrew not because of me we, we had a bot we no seriously I, I gave the car to Andrew in, in last place because because of the uh, the penalty. maybe not last place maybe I don't, I don't remember it was it was definitely towards the back of the field and pit stop cycle around and we were I don't know seventh eighth whatever it was and Andrew does what Andrew does I mean he's he's that good so here we are celebrating and Andrew's the one that drove the car to second place Andrew's the one that battered bat, excuse me battled Spencer Pompelli for the win Andrew deserves all the credit for that race Andrew deserves a lot of the credit at at Mazda Raceway uh, for, for getting the win there. It wasn't until late in the season that I started really, in my opinion, driving better. Um, do I want to be leading every race and taking pole at every race? Who doesn't? You know, I don't do this so I can run around just in the middle of the pack here. I'm doing this because I want to freaking win this damn thing. And not only do I win it, but I, I want to do it so well that they're saying, shit, we need to do another BOP adjustment to that car. I want people to think that the car is so damn fast and we need to do BOP adjustments when it's just me driving the car so freaking well. Okay? You're the same way. What am I holding in my hand right now? You're holding a challenge coin. United States Marine Corps. What is a challenge coin for the so listeners at home? Had I had I brought my challenge coins with me, I would have just trumped yours. So basically uh -huh, the way this uh -huh. works, but, the, the, but the legend you But you don't have one on you. I don't have one on me. I can okay. go back to my house and just no, grab one. No, but no, I can't. No. I owe you a drink now. Um, so the way this works is uh, challenge coins. You usually get uh, challenge coins. It's just uh, about the size of a half dollar. Um, and it has, you know, units usually have them. So have their, their unit logo on it and their unit saying on it. And the one that Ryan particularly has here is a Marine Corps challenge coin from HMX 464, the Condors, uh, which is an airlift command. Uh, 464, that's kind of out of the June. Um, not 100% certain, but uh, anyways, the heavy lift command, so that's going to be Ospreys and 53s and maybe 46s. That's the type of uh, aircraft they're going to fly. So Ryan has his coin here, and I was supposed to bring out my coin to show him that I have a, a, a coin here as well. Whoever has the, whoever has the most junior coin has to buy the round of beers. Right. And I don't have a coin on me, right. so Ryan automatically trumps me. And so that means breakfast is on me this morning. Well, we're not going to let that happen. But maybe a cup of coffee then. <laughs> <laughs> or the next time we get together, I either, A, have to remember to bring mine, but I do owe you a round of beers. You now. owe me a round of beers. Um, so I got this coin from Major Tim Anderson, who's a helicopter pilot. And you just kind of, you're like, I know that name. Major Tim Anderson is Derek Whitus' brother-in-law. Yep. and He's I a 53 pilot. That's right. And I taught his three-day school at Skip Barber the last year I worked at Panos. I worked at Panos. Panos got bought by Skip Barber. And the last year I, I did it, Major Tim came through, and uh, I hit it off with him right away. Start, we started talking about military stuff, and he didn't even mention the Derek Whitus connection, and he knew already. And so I'm just nerding out. I'm like, tell me more about helicopters, you know, and all the stuff he'd been through. And, and he was so cool. And then uh, halfway through the second day, he's like, hey, you want to get dinner tonight? I'm like, yeah, sure. We're, you know, you're staying nearby the track. He's like, yeah, my uh, brother-in-law, Derek, said you'd be a good guy to get a beer with. And I'm like, Who's, who? He's like, Derek Whitus. And I'm like, dude, like, I – that's my like. Come, I race against that guy yeah. all the time, and so at the end of the school, he gave me a. a I, I was call, 
call-out coin or a challenge, challenge coin? coin? Challenge coin. Um, and then why would he give me this? So you might, that's a that's like a permanent handshake going on right there. Right. That's a huge thank you for, right. for everything that you've done. And um, it's, that's a, it's a huge token of yeah. his appreciation for everything that you've done there. And uh, it's something that you should hold high and dear. I take it everywhere I go. It's um, that, that's that's a trophy right there. Yeah, exactly. It's it, this goes with me everywhere I go. It's always in my book bag. And uh, when we sat down, I was like, ooh, and I went back out and got it because I knew you were coming, and I knew I'd probably get something out of you on it. God, so. I always, so I either a got to go to Atlanta buy your beer, or you got to come down here. And well, I got to come back there. down and race go karts with you. You do, or I go out there and race go karts at AMP. It's warmer here for the next few months. All right. So we'll, we'll we got indoor stuff here too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Nice. So yeah. I'll awesome. buy you either eight beers and either just that round of beers. Right. Like yeah. That. So that's the story with those. Copy that. Well, I look forward to getting drunk with you. Yeah. Yes. 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 But for this round, Continental's got the check. I'm finished. All right. And that is the end of season one of Dinner with Racers. Big thanks to Liam Dwyer for being so forthcoming and telling such an amazing series of stories. I believe I speak for Ryan and myself when I say this has been nothing but fun to do. Cannot, cannot, cannot give enough credit to uh, Continental Tire and especially Sherry Herman, who uh, really kind of put her neck out to, to let us do this and and hopefully it's well received. So uh, let's close out one last time with the music of Slightly Stupid, also available on iTunes. Enjoy. Hopefully see you next season. Until we don't get picked up.